How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. We feel like we've been completely let down by the system, and that's yeah. just the way we feel. Now on the news hour, frustration and fear on the streets of Nanaimo amid growing calls to crack down on crime. Plus, we didn't know the rent is going up. N not until all oh, it's time to pay the rent. Adding financial stress to student life, how the skyrocketing cost of living is hitting college campuses. And most of them are really struggling right now. They don't have uh, any kind of cash flow to kind of keep things running. The year the music died, the fallout as more and more festivals province-wide fall silent. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. A sentiment felt in major cities across the province was on full display in the streets of Nanaimo today. On the heels of a fatal stabbing and months of angst over crime and violence in the city, constituents confronted their mayor about ongoing public safety concerns. Paul Johnson has our top story. You blame them, the province, the province blames the feds, the feds, and nobody does anything. But Few could argue that the mayor of Nanaimo wasn't earning his pay Saturday. Struggling. The kids can't go. Like I've seen dirty needles, bloody napkins. Make Nanaimo safe! That exchange happened after more than 100 gathered at Country Club Mall to protest what they believe is an intensifying public safety crisis in their city, fueled by a mixture of hard drugs, mental illness and homelessness. What's long troubled places like Vancouver's downtown east side, they say, has migrated across the Strait of Georgia and taken its toll on their city's livability. I would like to see a different system in place that actually helps people that are struggling with issues, but also doesn't make us victimized because of their issues. A criminal who's known to the court system is given a slap on the finger or on the hand and, and is let off. Jeff Ross says after more than 20 years in business in Nanaimo, he's never seen it this bad. Constant break-ins and recent robbery that just cost him $60,000. He and the others say they're fed up with the endless series of politicians who call for studies and tinker with programs as things only worsen. This retired Mountie charged that Premier David Eby is about to welch on a promise to deliver progress within 100 days. 90 of those 100 days have passed. How much action do we see? None! Zero! The problem is crime in our streets, much of which relates to people feeding a drug habit. Though Mayor Leonard Krogh was the only elected official who turned up to hear their grievances, it's unclear how much credit he'll get. As recent history in B.C. shows, academic explanations about the complexity of mental health, addiction and crime seldom do much for those demanding law and order now. Paul Johnson, Global News. 
The Union of BC Indian Chiefs is responding to a widely viewed video involving transit police and a handcuffed Indigenous child with autism, calling the treatment of the boy horrendous and callous. You're too much. You're a little too much. This is too much. That is the voice of the boy's mother, who says she started recording this footage the second time her son was placed in handcuffs. The footage, which has since been posted and circulated widely on social media, was taken inside BC Children's Hospital on Thursday evening. The officers had escorted Maya, the mother, and her son there after a previous incident on transit. Autism rights advocates and the boy's mother say the situation could have been de-escalated well before it got to this to de-escalate that situation, they could have used their words. I didn't want to be that person to post a video about the police because they've helped me, but <laughs> just one sound of my kid whining and I turn around and he's on the ground and I, I, I try to get on top of him and take the hands off my kid, but they were, I, I had to video record. I'm sorry, I had to video record. I, because you can't do that behind closed doors. The housing rent freeze put in place at UBC to ease the financial pain of the pandemic has ended. Later this spring, the price to live on campus will be increasing, adding even more stress to students already struggling to live and learn in an unaffordable city. Julia Foy reports. I think it's a little ridiculous, especially considering Vancouver does have a massive housing crisis right now. 19-year-old Munira Abdul-Wahid is concerned rent at her single room at UBC is going up. I do think that UBC probably does have enough funding to somehow allocate some sort of money to housing just so students don't have to pay more to live on campus. The University of British Columbia has announced that student housing prices are going to increase by between 3.5 and 8% starting in May. That could add up to several hundred dollars being added to the bill for the year. That's a significant increase for students. We're very sensitive and empathetic to, you know, the affordability of, of education for students and the challenges that students face with um, the cost of education, including things like shelter and food. Some UBC students are now looking elsewhere, but it's not easy. Me and my friends are definitely looking for that for next year. You are, hey? Yeah, yeah. But mainly because it's harder to get housing for a second year on campus. Welcome to your UBC residence move-in experience. Parr says campus prices are designed to be lower than market value for other rentals, and the rent increases will be applied based on how old the campus building is. We want to keep a wide gap in, in our pricing, so, um, so our new inventory is going to be you know, a little bit more expensive, but our older inventory we want to keep as low as possible. Some students are doing the math to see which rate makes sense for them. Year-round housing, you're guaranteed housing for as long as you're here. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty if you're trying to rent um, privately out in Vancouver. UBC is planning to build another 3,300 housing units by 2030. And the increased rent from current students will help pay for them. Honestly, we didn't know the rent is going up. N not until, oh, it's time to pay the rent, and then you kind of suddenly know from the rent, oh, it's going up. As for Manira, she's preparing to battle the housing market before she comes back for her second year. Yeah, Vancouver um, apartments are absolutely insane. It's like two or 3,000 just for like a one-bedroom apartment. It's, it's crazy for sure. Julia Foy, Global News. 
Well, most of the province will be under a cold spell starting tonight with Arctic air arriving, bringing an end to our mild January. It was still relatively warm across Metro Vancouver this morning, but that's all about to change later tonight as the temperatures will dip and keep us in a deep freeze for days. The change has already prompted the city of Vancouver to open up additional warming centers for those needing shelter from the cold. So just how cold will it get and could we see snow? Here is meteorologist Yvonne Shell with all the answers, Yvonne. Yeah, very chilly. Anywhere between 5 and 10 degrees cooler than what we're typically seeing for this time of the year. And it's blanking the province, that cold Arctic air. It'll settle in overnight tonight, take us in towards the next two days. It's a brief and short cold spell. But do keep in mind the wind chill overnight tonight, especially for the interior. The central half of the province will be feeling closer to minus 30. The southern interior minus 20. And along the south coast, even for Metro Vancouver overnight tonight, we'll be feeling closer to minus 9 and minus 10. So bundle up. We'll continue to track this all the way in towards our Monday. But do keep in mind, we're also seeing strong outflow winds, areas into the Fraser Valley. Through the day tomorrow, could see some of those gusts closer to 50 and 60 kilometers per hour. Chilly over the next couple of days, there is the potential for some snow. I'll show you the timeline coming up very shortly. Sarah? All right, Yvonne, thank you. See you soon. It has been almost three years since Canada's first COVID-19-related death was recorded in B.C. On March 8, 2020, a man in his 80s died at the Lynn Valley Care Centre. The North Vancouver long-term care home was the epicentre of B.C.'s first COVID outbreak, and the senior was one of two people there diagnosed with the virus in that same week. Today marks the third anniversary of the province's first COVID-19 briefing, where the first case was announced by Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry. Health Minister Adrian Dix used the somber anniversary today to thank the province's healthcare workers. I just want to, on this, uh, I suppose, difficult anniversary, because it has been um, an extraordinary period where people have stepped up in exceptional ways, to express my appreciation to everyone who works in healthcare and all of the people of BC who have been so supportive in that time and have contributed so much in big ways and, and small. This week, BC reported the fewest COVID-19 patients in hospital of those who are tested in more than a year. 22 patients were in critical care, five more than last week. A Port Hardy doctor says new measures to try to stabilize health care on North Vancouver Island are welcome, but not enough. Multiple North Island ERs have had to close their doors temporarily since last spring due to staffing shortages. The province announced new investments on Friday, including financial supports, a new shuttle bus service, and access to Northern Health's travel nurse program. But Dr. Alex Natteris says what's actually needed is more hands on deck. And he wants to see physician assistants allowed to work in BC. I worked with them in rural remote Manitoba. They were transformative in our delivery of rural health care. They're cost efficient. They're effective. They're culturally safe. They're exactly the solution we need for the North Island. I don't have any objection in principle to it. Um, there's some issues to be worked out, including issues around scope of practice before you could consider uh, physician's assistance in BC, and that's something that I'll be asking our ministry to work with, with the College of Physicians and Surgeons. To ensure predictability, emergency rooms in Port Hardy and Alert Bay will now remain closed overnight, while Port McNeil's will stay open 24-7. There is no timeline for when that may change. 
The mayor of Merritt, meantime, wants the province to lift the vaccine mandate for healthcare workers to help ease the hospital crisis in his community. Mike Getz says Merritt's emergency room has been closed four times since Christmas due to staffing shortages. He says bringing back unvaccinated healthcare workers would help fill the current void. Close to 900 interior health employees lost their jobs after that mandate was implemented. Getz, who says he himself is vaccinated, is trying to push the idea ahead with the BC Rural Healthcare Alliance. So the idea of a unvaccinated nurse or doctor treating me wouldn't affect me at all. When you buy your groceries at the store, or you get served by a server at a restaurant, do you care what, do you know whether they're vaccinated or not? The issue, uh, I'd say with great respect to the mayor, isn't COVID-19 rules, it's COVID-19, right? And so um, the most vulnerable people in all of BC to COVID-19 are people in hospital. They're the most vulnerable people. And we have an obligation to ensure that they get the care they, they need. Interior Health CEO Susan Brown says if the province's order changes, they would embrace any staff member who wanted to return. Abbotsford police say they're seeing a spike in impaired drivers year over year. The department says frontline officers removed 881 impaired drivers from Abbotsford's roads last year. That's 103 more than the 778 impaired drivers the force says it encountered in 2021, or a 13% increase. Just recently, Abbotsford police say patrol officers found an impaired driving suspect with her two-year-old child in the car. A Surrey nonprofit is hoping to increase food security for families struggling to put food on the table. The Toonies for Tomorrow campaign by Surrey Cares is highlighting the urgent need for donations this year. Organizers say if each person in Surrey donates just one Toonie, more than a million dollars would be raised. The need for the food security support is significant because of inflation. There are many people who are still having challenges coming out of COVID. And we also know that in Surrey, we have many who fall through the cracks of traditional programming. So this is meant to provide food security in a dignified fashion that's culturally appropriate and easy to access for all. A devastating loss for a Surrey operation this weekend that houses hundreds of exotic animals. Overnight, Urban Safari lost power, but when electricity was restored, there was a surge which sparked a smoldering fire that overwhelmed the surge protectors and led to the loss of an unknown number of animals. Staff and volunteers are still assessing the damage tonight. The animals that we lost, uh, snakes, arachnids, those spiders, uh, stick bugs, <laughs> The question everybody is asking, yes, the cockroaches survived. Um, we lost some turtles, some turtles lived. We lost some geckos, some geckos lived. Uh, unfortunately, all the mammals, including the sugar gliders, are gone. Uh, again, we're still figuring out who's alive. Unfortunately, we will also be dealing with um, secondary loss. We can expect to lose more animals even with vet care over the coming weeks because of the damage they will have suffered to their lungs and their respiratory system. The surviving animals have been temporarily fostered out. Staff say they now need volunteers to help clean the cages and rebuild after the fire. Next on the news hour, where have all the festivals gone? Maybe fun events are not the priority, but it needs to be at the table. The cascading cancellations of fan-favorite festivals across the province 
and the lack of fun left by the fallout. Plus, being able to compete in this tournament and not only win it, you know, I think it's just so special for myself and my family as well. The homegrown hockey phenom bringing the hardware home from the World Juniors. Meet the goalie whose star is rising on and off the ice. That's coming up later in the show. Stay with us. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a side of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and beaches vacation.com. Well, the struggle to stay alive is very real for organizers of public festivals across the province this year. Already a popular summer country music event in the interior has been cancelled and at least two other festivals in Vancouver are on the bubble. Travis Prasad explains. Since 2004, Celtic Fest has been a St. Patrick's Day tradition in Vancouver. We had a really good year last year and we just want to build on that. But this year, the free-to-attend event is in desperate need of cash. So we're still probably waiting on about, I'd say, 50% of our funding. So that kind of plays havoc with our scheduling and, and kind of booking acts and things like that. Organizers say finding corporate sponsorship is tougher than ever. Particularly with rising interest rates and, and recession kind of looming or maybe we're already in one. Um, so that's kind of what's got us feeling a little bit nervous about the year ahead. Making ends meet proving too challenging for the popular Rockin' River Fest in Merritt. Organizers confirming this summer's event is cancelled due to rising costs. And uncertainty remains over the Vancouver Folk Music Festival, now in its 45th year. I feel more and more we're hearing about cultural events being shut down in our city. Earlier this week, the Folk Festival Society hinted at shutting down after a jump in production costs. Outside parties have since offered potential solutions, but still no guarantees. Supporters calling it the canary in the cultural coal mine. The arts are chronically underfunded. And to set up a production of that size, vendors and every all the services that we need to, to secure well before the festival is happening, they all want to be paid in advance. So it's, it's really a lot of strain. The city of Vancouver says it will contact Celtic Fest organizers for more information, telling Global News staff will also ensure that organizers are aware of our Fest Share program that covers operational costs for events that are free and open to the public. Well, Vancouver, unfortunately, has a, a reputation as an no-fun city, and this isn't really going to... Um, detract from that reputation if we kind of can't have local festivals on that are, are free and open to the public. If more money isn't secured next week, this year's St. Patrick's Day celebrations will be a lot smaller than usual. Travis Prasad, Global News. The return of a controversial story time in Kelowna sparked another large protest and counter-protest today. Victoria Famia was there. This was the scene outside the Kelowna Library as hundreds of people protested outside with some for and some against what was happening inside. The library hosted a drag story time featuring performer Frida Wales where she reads children's books to kids. However, not everyone approved of the event. Those protesting against deeming the drag story time as inappropriate. For the children, it's a little over, over the top. 
I think it should be something that kept in the nightclubs and stuff like that. None of us here, I believe, that are here uh, against the gay community. We just have to stop. We're not here for division. We're here to protect the children. We're here for to unite. But on the other side of the protest, drag queen allies came out rejecting those statements, advocating for this event. Just be a drag. Just be a queen. I fully support drag queens reading to children. It's just a performance art. It's just like going to theater. It's no different than that. And the kids love it, and it supports inclusion and diversity, and I love it. I think that if they don't like that the children are being exposed to these things, they don't have to bring their kids. Simple. And inside the library, hundreds of children excited for Frida Wales to begin her reading, with parents in full support. No, I think it's just a cool experience, and at the end of the day, for them, it's just seeing someone in a cool outrageous uh, outfit like you would see in a Disney movie. I think what's special about the event is that it really showcases diversity and inclusivity and captures um, a, like a segment of the population that's not always looked upon positively or accepted by mainstream society and it's our role as a library to represent and support all the members of our community. As for Frida Wales, the controversy surrounding the reading has only made her more popular. I'm already booked for a lot more after this. Actually, this the whole controversy actually got me quite a few more bookings, so thanks. <laughs> Police were on hand monitoring the protest, and while it was kept fairly peaceful, people spent most of the day chanting their thoughts about what was happening inside the library with the drag storytime event. Victoria Femia, Global News, Kelowna. Coming up, the calls for calm as simmering protests hit a boiling point. It has to stop with this one because no mother should have to witness what, they, what we saw today. As damning footage of Tyree Nichols' final moments sparks outrage and new officer suspensions, plus. I live here in Ottawa and I actually miss the sound of the horns. Anniversary of an occupation. Protesters returned to Parliament Hill one year after the convoy that rolled into the country's capital. That's after the break. Stay with us. Hours before footage was released showing five police officers dealing what would ultimately be fatal blows to Tyree Nichols in Memphis. His family called for calm and peaceful protests in their home state of Tennessee and beyond. Tonight, that's largely what they have received as people across the country demand justice. And a warning, what you're about to see is disturbing. From coast to coast, thousands of angry Americans took to the streets following the release of the shocking video. Showing Memphis police officers tasing, punching and stomping 29-year-old Tyree Nichols during a traffic stop. Nichols died in a hospital three days later. All five former officers were fired and have been charged with second-degree murder and other criminal offenses. If it wasn't for the George Floyd uprising, this justice here wouldn't be so swift, but we can't let up. Why can't we let up? Because we are still being murdered. Justice for Tyree. The protests were mostly peaceful, but tempers flared in New York City and Los Angeles. It has to stop with this one because no mother should have to witness what, they, what we saw today. At one point on the police cam video, Nichols is heard calling out for his mother. Her home was about 70 meters from where the altercation occurred. We want justice for my son. All five former officers are now out on bail. The local sheriff's department has also suspended two deputies who came onto the scene after the beating. 
and there are now questions as to why Nichols reportedly laid on the ground for at least 20 minutes before paramedics called to the scene treated him. Attorneys for at least two of the officers say they will plead not guilty, asking the public to withhold judgment. You're going to feel things, you're going to uh, experience emotions, uh, but know that there's always more to the story. Millions now want answers as to why this traffic stop turned so violent and ended up costing Nichols his life. The investigations have just begun. As protesters vow to keep demonstrating until real police reforms are adopted across America. Jennifer Johnson, Global News, Washington. Today marks the one-year anniversary of the trucker convoy protest that rolled in and shut down Ottawa's downtown core for almost a month. Taria Isri now on the return of protesters 365 days later. The Freedom Convoy is back on Parliament Hill, but the protest is smaller and more subdued than what we saw a year ago. There are no trucks and no honking, but there is lots of security. A few hundred people gathered in the capital under a heavy police presence for what they dubbed as a dance party to mark last year's demonstration. The protesters made their way on foot because Wellington Street, the street in front of Parliament, remains closed to traffic. We spoke to some of the demonstrators about why they returned, despite the fact that there are no more public health restrictions. This is an anniversary, a celebration of something we've, we've achieved, and we're working on a lot more. We've still got a long way to go. I'd like to see a change of government, but that's not going to happen today or tomorrow, and I understand that. I'd just like to see uh, less division within our country. We, are as po we, we laugh at the United States. We're no different right now. We are as divided as the United States are. Been on our case since every day. That division was on display. There were some tense moments when a counter-protester holding the megaphone clashed with a member of the Freedom Convoy. Hey, 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 come here, come here, please, please, come here. She just assaulted him. He just ripped my phone out of my hands. This is Freedom Baby. So Freedom Baby is a representative of uh, my thoughts towards the convoy, a uh, big bunch of whiny babies um, who threw a mega tantrum last year in our city. The one-year anniversary protest fell on the same day as the Liberal caucus retreat. Some of the protesters here say they would still like Prime Minister Justin Trudeau to meet with them and hear their concerns. Taria Isri, Global News, Ottawa. In Health Matters tonight, Canada's Chief Public Health Officer, Dr. Theresa Tam, says regardless of an expected World Health Organization decision next week, it will not affect Canada's pandemic response. Tam says while the WHO decision is important, public health measures in Canada are not going to end. On Monday, the WHO is set to decide if the COVID-19 pandemic will continue to be declared a global public health emergency. Coming up, celebrating diversity and acceptance on the ice. The push for inclusivity at Pride Night in Coquitlam. We will take you there after the break.
Welcome back. It is about to get very cold as we enter the last week of January. How cold? Yvonne <laughs> Shell is here with our full forecast, Yvonne. Sarah, we are uh, seeing the rest of the month or the end of this month. Yes, yeah, going to be a chilly one. We've been tracking. We talked about the special weather statement that's blanking in the province. It's all courtesy of this Arctic air that's in place. And we are going to continue to see those temperatures drop off tonight and continuing all the way towards our Monday. Now, overnight for the central interior, that's the area of concern. When you factor in the wind chill, though, right now we're registering at minus 21 will be closer to minus 29, minus 30. We're going to see the risk of frostbite. Much of the southern interior and the southeastern corners of the province will be into the minus 20s. Heads up for Metro Vancouver overnight. Wind chill for the morning hours feeling like minus 9. We've got plenty of sunshine. That'll be the silver lining and sunny for much of the province through the day tomorrow just up to 2. Average for this time of the year sits at 7. Once again, the special weather statement that's blanking the province will take us into tonight and in towards our Monday. Bit of a reprieve is on the way, but we're looking at the potential for some snowfall and we'll have that coming up in just a moment. A few other numbers once again it's really overnight taking us in towards tomorrow morning and then once again for our Monday before we start to see that reprieve once again. Strong outflow winds will be the big weather story. We can see that into the Fraser Valley. Abbotsford could see gusts of up to 60 areas near White Rock closer to 50 kilometers per hour. Most areas across the province will benefit from the sunshine that's in place with this Arctic air. However late day Monday into Tuesday a bit of a change will be on the way. We're looking at the potential for some showers. It'll be cold enough into Tuesday morning that we could even see some flurries and then changing over to showers and snow for higher elevations and then mild once again for Wednesday, Thursday, the moisture moving in falling as rain. Chilly bundle up with the wind chill for the early morning hours. We'll be feeling closer to minus 30 across the central interior. Very gusty winds. If you're traveling along the mountain passes, we are going to see Whistler drop off to minus 10 overnight tonight. Across the island, it'll be similar. Strong gusty winds, chilly temperatures tonight, tomorrow night, Monday, bit of a reprieve. And then by Tuesday through the early morning hours, a few wet flurries, mild enough of change on the way. Sarah will be for Wednesday, Thursday. We're back into some rain. Highs between 5 and 7 degrees. Back to you. Okay, thanks, Yvonne. Inclusion and acceptance took center ice in Coquitlam on Friday night. A large crowd was in attendance as the Express Junior A hockey team hosted their first ever Pride Night. The team's general manager says the event is all about driving social change and fostering inclusivity. The important part to, to all this is just, you know, it's a fun hockey game. It's junior hockey in our backyard. Uh, it's an inclusive environment. Everyone's welcome here. Everyone is equal here, right? Uh, that's our biggest message is, you know, everyone is loved. Everyone is included. Well, that's a great message. Mm -hmm. awesome. Fun night. Speaking of inclusion, hey, Gary. <laughs> you guys including <laughs> me? Yeah. You. Can We're I be your friend? <laughs> yes, of course. Thank <laughs> you. We decided to let you join us. I appreciate yeah. it. I appreciate it. Speaking of hockey and Coquitlam, you have a cool story coming up about a Coquitlam hockey player. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he was uh, the, the young man who led Canada to the uh, World Junior Gold, so that is all coming up. But uh, also the Canucks are in a big break. They don't play again for nine more days. I'm sure there will still be some drama in there because they have led the league in that category this year. <laughs> but they lost another player uh, last night, not during the game, but uh, we find out Ilya Mikheyev has been playing on a very bad knee all year and they're going to shut him down. We'll hear from uh, him and Patrick Alvin coming up. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Barry. Thanks, Yvonne. We'll see you both soon. Coming up, it is a class action settlement unlike anything this country has seen before. I'm very honored to be able to live to see this day. The proposed plan for billions of dollars awarded to survivors of the residential school system. That's after the break. Stay with us.
More tonight on a $2.8 billion residential school class action settlement in a lawsuit brought by members of a BC First Nation back in 2012. Canada has agreed to pay the money into a trust fund. Neetu Garcha has reaction to the government's proposed reparations and how those funds may be used. After Saddle Lake Cree Nation in Alberta released its preliminary findings this week, including suspected causes of death of some of an estimated 400 children who didn't survive, the lead investigator reacted to the $2.8 billion residential school class action settlement. The monies will never be able to, uh, according to our elders, repay the uh, uh, cultural uh, language and... Uh, if I may say, uh, spiritual losses. I'm very honoured to be able to live to see this day. Shane Gottfriedson has been involved in this case as a representative plaintiff Wait, for 15 years. He says the agreement marks Canada's first class action settlement for collective damages based on shared rights to Indigenous language and culture. And then 10 days before our trial was to start, Canada offered to settle. So today we are representing 325 Indigenous nations across Canada and have developed a settlement plan to allow for the nations to work towards the four pillars. Those four pillars of the $2.8 billion agreement are revitalization of language, culture, wellness for people and heritage commemoration. Possibly uh, a full immersion school, uh, you know, teaching the language for our kids. For Upper Nicola Band Chief and residential school survivor Harvey McLeod, the money will bolster and speed up existing language and culture programs in his community. He says the focus will be on children. Ceremonies like a uh, uh, horse clinic for six to eight year olds, how to take care of a horse, fishing, hunting, um, gathering medicines, and just getting out on the land and finding out what this land is all about. He says it shows Ottawa's commitment to making amends, but Indigenous legal scholar Rachel Snow, who was not involved in the case, has a different perspective. I don't feel it goes far enough at all because um, if you look at the uh, level of dysfunction and harm and hurt in our communities, um, it's this is this is generations in the making. It's going to be generations in the the healing or fixing. Crown Indigenous Relations Minister Mark Miller said the trust fund will operate for 20 years and run independent of the federal government if the court approves the deal next month. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Vancouver. And a 24-hour crisis line is available for anyone experiencing pain or distress as a result of their residential school experience. You can call toll-free and speak in confidence at the number on your screen. That is 1-800-721-0066. Coming up on the news hour, connectivity conundrum. Well, you're under probably like 10 megabytes a second here. Yeah. It's really bad. The struggles of small town internet connection and faint hope the signal may improve. That's coming up after sports. Stay with us. Help kids in our community. One in three Canadian children are at risk of going to school hungry. That's why Global News and the Grocery Foundation are partnering for hashtag Toonies for Tummies, benefiting student nutrition programs for kids in our community. Visit globalnews.ca slash Toonies for Tummies for info. Don't miss the Vancouver International Boat Show. Enjoy informative seminars and DIY sessions from industry experts. Browse the newest boat models from top brands and more. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman.
Our BC is brought to you by London Drugs. CKNW Kids Fund Pink Shirt Day is on February 22nd. Get your pink shirt merchandise now at London Drugs. Welcome back. Barry's back with more in sports. Mm -hmm. And the Canucks are always up to something. Mm -hmm. It's always a little Seems surprise like <laughs> at the end of every night from the Canucks. Thanks, Sarah. Uh, Ilya Mikheyev scored in last night's 5-2 Canucks win versus Columbus. But after the game, it was announced Mikheyev is being shut down for the season. He'll have surgery on his knee to repair a torn ACL that he's been dealing with since injuring the knee. The first exhibition game of the season way back in late September, he tried to power through it, but now all the parties feel the best Thing is to fix the problem now and get Mikheyev ready for next season. Credit to Ilya. I've been playing on basically one knee here and our medical staff preparing him uh, for all the games up to this point. I think that shows a lot about uh, Ilya's uh, character and will to play for the Vancouver Canucks here. So um, timeline, we will know more uh, after the surgery here next week and uh, uh, he will be ready for training camp. Ilya wanted to continue to play, and our medical staff did a tremendous job here preparing him, and, and uh, uh, we felt that, that at this point this will be in the timeline to start the training camp. Uh, it's not about pain, it's more about uh, like uh, power, power uh, stability. Do you feel like it's limited your speed at times this year? Uh, yes. We see you getting emotional about it. It's... Uh, Everybody help me with this one because it's a tough moment for me. And be upset about having to miss the rest of the season, but amazing he could play on a leg with uh, only one good knee. All right, Canucks have a huge break now through the All-Star game, which is a week from today in Florida. Canucks don't play again until Monday, February 6th in New Jersey. Now, earlier today, forward Lane Peterson was claimed off waivers by the Blue Jackets. Canucks were hoping that Peterson would clear waivers and be able to play in Abbotsford during the long break, but no such luck. And with the impending Bo Horvat trade and now McKayev gone, Canucks are getting a little lean up front. As far as last night, new head coach Rick Tockett thought his guys bounced back nicely after getting throttled 6-1 in Seattle midweek. Well, you know what? I, I like the resiliency. In, in, in the NHL, you have to be a resilient team. You know, uh, obviously, we had a stinker in Seattle, and we came back and we put that in a good uh, game plan. You know, we had, I thought the coaches did a great job there. We, we met with some players that we thought didn't play well in Seattle, and they came back strong. With some good efforts, I think Mizey played. A, Myers played a good game. Bear came in and did a night. Stillman, those guys came in and did it, gave us some juice. NHL today, Avalanche and Blues, defending Cup champs, starting to play like champs. They have dealt with a lot of injuries, but getting healthier. Former Victoria Grizzly star Alex Newhook heating up too. Ever since we did a feature on him, coincidence? I think not. Great goal by Newhook to open the scoring. He's had uh, three in his last four, up to 12 for the season. Avalanche so dangerous on the rush. Nathan McKinnon at warp speed, as he often does, feeds Evan Rodriguez. And 4-2 the final Avalanche win. They're back in a playoff spot now in the Western Conference. It's been a few weeks since Coquitlam's Thomas Millich and Team Canada won World Junior Gold. Millich was a difference maker in the crease for Canada. Connor Bedard, yes, provided spectacular goals. Millich, though, prevented a lot of them. And his performance in this tournament should lead to bigger and better things in his hockey future. Had it on me for a while now. <laughs> Gold medal right there. 
When you backstop Canada to a World Junior Gold Medal, you should show it off at every opportunity. Coquitlam's Thomas Millich is still on cloud nine, even though that thrilling win was over three weeks ago. Millich took a few games to find his form at the tournament, but once the sudden death portion started, he was outstanding, making several key stops that literally made it possible for Canada to claim gold. Something I've looked forward to ever since I was a kid, you know, being able to compete in this tournament and not only win it, you know, I think it's just so special for myself and my family as well, and everyone else has helped me get to this point and, you know, supported me along the way. Millich recently returned home to Coquitlam to rest and decompress from the World Junior Tournament, but he was eager to share his gold medal and sign some autographs at the Burnaby Winter Club, where he played bantam and midget hockey just a few years ago. Burnaby Winter Club was such an incredible part of my development and you know, definitely some of the most fun years of hockey I've had. You know, just being able to spend so much time with your teammates, you know, you're going to school with them, then you walk over to the rink and practice. I just saw a bunch of the the younger guys going to practice right now when I pulled into the parking lot and you know it's it's cool just seeing how not too much has changed. So he's gonna have some opportunities here that arise obviously you know we see him as an NHL player you know speaking with some of his past coaches he's an unbelievable kid he's one of those guys that you know he's not the typical goalie with the big superstitions he, he's one of those guys that you have to boot off the ice after practices knowing that uh, you know he works hard at what he does. Millich now switches back to his club team, the Seattle Thunderbirds, a team with championship aspirations. Last year, Millich played all 25 playoff games for Seattle, but they fell short in the Western Hockey League final, losing to Edmonton in six games. He was outstanding, but it still wasn't enough for a team to call his name at the NHL draft. He is smaller by today's standards, standing at six feet even, but he showed the size of his heart and will to win, prove he's got what it takes to play at pro hockey's highest level. You know, I think I've continued to prove for myself and you know, quote unquote smaller goalies everywhere that you know you don't have to be 6'4", 6'5", to, to play at the high levels and I think it's just really establishing the fact that you know, I'm able to play at that level and compete amongst you know, the top players in the world and you know, I think that really translates to whatever level of hockey you're playing at. Great job, Thomas. Australian Open Women's Final very early this morning. Arena Sabalenka of Belarus looking for her first major, taking on Alina Rybakina of Kazakhstan, who won her first major this past summer at Wimbledon. Split the first two sets, three all in the third, but Sabalenka gets the break. Puts away the smash, goes up 4-3. Sabalenka struggled with double faults, which has really been a uh, tough thing during her career, during crucial moments, but she got through it today despite seven of them. And on match point, Ribikina hits long, and Arena Sabalenka, major champion for the first time, takes the Aussie Open. The men's final, Djokovic, Tsitsipas, in the starts at about 12.45 a.m. Uh, our time Sunday morning. Final round from Torrey Pines, Farmers Insurance Open, Saturday finish to stay clear of the NFL playoffs tomorrow. Max Homa, a Southern California guy, will bend in the birdie here on the very tough par 3-6, played about 220 into the wind, and he makes a two. That's how you win tournaments. Gave him the outright lead, tough conditions, many golfers fell back. Keegan Bradley wasn't one of them. Low round of the day, a 666. Birdie here gets him within one, but he would be solo second. No one could touch Max Homa. Taps in for another birdie at 18. Two-shot win, sixth of his career. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin tied 44th at plus two. FA Cup fourth round, Manchester United hosting Reading at Old Trafford. No scoring first half, but then United strike a beautiful ball to the Brazilian Casemiro, who chips it over the keeper. And that gave Man United the 1-0 lead. Casemiro back for more just a few minutes later. And 
This shocked the goalkeeper, obviously, from distance. That's 30-plus yards out, but he finds the corner. Man United onto the round of 16 in the FA Cup after beating Reading 3-1. And Ryan, Ryan Reynolds' team, Wrexham. If you watched that series, I did. Very fun. And now I'm a Wrexham fan. <laughs> they are playing their fourth-round FA Cup match tomorrow. Very cool. Okay, thanks, Barry. Right. Uh, coming up, connectivity conundrum. Stay with us. We'll explain well, most of us take internet connectivity for granted, but that is a luxury that is not afforded to many who live in rural parts of the province. Caden Fanshawe of CKBG News explains. If you live in a rural part of northern BC, the chances are you've dealt with this probably more than you've wanted to. Connection issues proving to be a real problem, even in centres like Mackenzie. They tell me it's high speed. Yeah. It's slow. It's a lot slower than anywhere, say, in Calgary or Prince George. Well, you're under probably like 10 megabytes a second here. It's really bad. Just as those in urban centers enjoy download speeds of over 100 megabytes per second, here in Mackenzie, residents are lucky to get a quarter of that. Even the mayor's Wi-Fi speeds are less than half the Canadian and B.C. average. At my home, and I pay $125 a month, and I get... Um, under, I get about nine down and less than one up. The dreaded speeds are no secret either. It's a problem anywhere outside of an urban centre and led to the regional district of Fraser Fort George to commission this report back in 2021, which found that action needed to be taken from multiple levels of government to improve speeds around the region. Here in Mackenzie, 87% of those surveyed had TELUS as their provider. Many of them now looking to switch to a newer option, courtesy of Elon Musk. I know a number of um, households have switched to Starlink. That certainly has helped those people, but not everyone has the money to getting that installed in your home. So it is an ongoing issue, but um, I'm very confident we will see a resolution to it in 2023. Until that solution can come down, this is pretty much how it goes if you're an elected official trying to zoom out of Mackenzie didn't even try, but gets the same thing. It, it, it doesn't make sense. Can you hear me? Oh, it might have dropped off. Caden Fanshawe, CKPG News. <laughs> now we know your pain. Although people in Mackenzie, they can have more conversations because their internet is that's best. They're not true. on their phone, which that's better. And that's true. Think yeah. of that we right have side. More face-to-face -face right. conversations <laughs> and fulfilling relationships. Yes. Okay, quick look at weather before we go on. Chilly, very chilly uh, over the coming days. This will take us in towards our Monday. We could see the potential for some wet flurries on Tuesday, but it's really those overnight lows. Wind chill are at about a minus 10, so do bundle up, and then it'll be mild enough. This is a brief and short cold spell. Okay, enjoy tomorrow while we can. That's all for us this evening. Thanks for sharing part of yours with us. Jasmine Bala is here at 11. We'll see you right back here tomorrow at 6. Good night.